Financial planning and analysis teams play a crucial role in companies by performing budgeting, forecasting, and analysis that support major corporate decisions of the CFO, CEO, and the board of directors. According to the Corporate Finance Institute, FP&A professionals oversee a broad array of financial affairs, including income, expenses, taxes, capital expenditures, investments, and financial statements. Financial analysts are charged with examining, analyzing, and evaluating the entirety of a corporation's financial activities and mapping out the company's financial future. Now, very few of any companies can be consistently profitable and grow without careful financial planning and cash flow management. The job of managing a corporation's cash flow typically falls to its p team and its chief finance officer. Now, joining us on this podcast for future CFO is Chris Ortega, CEO of Fresh fp a consultancy focused on finance transformation and scale solutions for businesses. Chris, welcome to Podcasts for Future CFO. Thank you so much for having me. Really excited to be here. What is the new value proposition for modern finance organizations? Yeah, so when I think about before the pandemic, during the pandemic, and afterward, there's been a tale of three different stories around the office of the CFO. The first story of the office of the CFO, we were working with organizations around growth. We were, you know, managing risk. We were still operating in more of that traditional mindset. And during the pandemic, when there was so much uncertainty, so much challenge, so much risk, your chief sales officer, your chief marketing officers, your CROs, they took a step back and they said, you know what, this is uncharted territory for us. And the CFO stepped up. The CFO helped organizations navigate the uncertainty, the political landscape, all the different challenges that the business faced. That created a new baseline of what the business demanded from the office of the CFO. And now that a lot of companies, industries, and organizations have emerged post-pandemic, some of them have, some of them have not. But now when you continue to navigate this uncertainty, the baseline is still set. So the value proposition has changed to where the business no longer looks for us to just be the great tax advisors or the great compliance people, right? Like those are ultimately really important things, but there's four key traits that the business is looking for the modern CFO to be great collaborators, to be great communicators, to connect and unite the business and to bring clarity to uncertainty, complexity, and challenge. That's really the new baseline that the business has expected out of the office of the CFO and more modern finance organizations. What exactly do you feel are the key factors that are contributing to this change in the role of this office of the CFO? Yeah, I think, you know, one of the major contributing factors of the, this change is, like I said, business has changed. Business has more, become more globalized. Another catalyst of change that I think is pretty significant is technology. Like when you think about the value proposition of traditionally what the office of the CFO has been from a technology perspective, we've usually been like the technology laggers, meaning we got to make sure the technology's like been fully vetted. It's not risky. We got a data governance. We got to make sure it's audit compliance. We have a whole checklist of things that we have to go through before we actually adopt technology compared to some of our other functional areas like marketing, sales, operations, which are more technology adopters. So I think the evolution of technology has really spurned that catalyst of change in that modern proposition of finance. The second one is around this idea of partnership. Again, that new baseline has been set. The chief marketing officers, the CROs, the chief human resource officers of the organizations, 
they want the office of the CFO to be more of a business partner, not just a scorekeeper. Gone are the days where you look to the CFO and said, hey, our budget was to do four widgets and we actually did three widgets. That's not the value. Technology can do that way faster than I can. The business is looking to answer the key critical question of what are we going to do about it? So I think that collaboration element the adoption of technology and the speed of technology and the value proposition it has. And I think the third and final catalyst of what has really spawned this modern finance change for organizations has really been around people. You've seen this great awakening, right? And you can fill in the, whether it's the great resignation, the great recovery, whatever you want to say it. People are starting to realize that, hey, my value, my experience, my talents, my passions, I want to bring that to an organization. And you've seen a lot of different changes in turnover, employee retention. You've seen a lot of different those changes. And I think that change has really put the office of the CFO to like, you have an active role in driving the culture. You have an active role in making sure that you have talent retention strategies. You have an active role in, in rechanging the traditional people performance management strategies and tactics. So to me, I think it's been technology, that partnership element. And the last thing is the uprising of this people and this human element have been catalysts uh, to change in the modern uh, finance organization. Now, let's go to the area of the finance uh, FP&A teams. How have things yeah. changed for the FP&A teams? I think about FP&A in two different like stages. My background has been 18 years in accounting, finance, FP&A, and financial leadership. I've had the experience in working at seed, startup, scale-up to enterprise-level companies, leading various different sizes and industries of finance organizations. At PNA traditionally was financial planning and analysis. Those are the people that were doing the data aggregation, doing the data variances, doing the budget versus actual comparisons, preparing the forecast. Just the name in and of itself originally is very quantitatively heavy, right? Like planning and analysis is quantitative. Now you look at the, the second stage, which I call FP&A 2.0, technology can do data aggregation a lot faster, data mining, analytics. You've got AI and machine learning. You've got RPA. You've got prescriptive and predictive analytics that can give you baseline assessments coupled with data sciences to get a lot of that planning and analysis already done. That second stage now of FP&A is financial partnership and advising. That is really the new evolution, right? Like you've got your technology, whether it's your ERP or your budgeting planning or your business intelligence platforms and technology. Now you throw in the people to be those great business partners and those great advisors. So to me, that's been that shift. It's moving away from like the quantitative side of FP&A and moving towards that qualitative side. And with that evolution, it's created a whole new set of skill sets that the businesses are demanding. One of those skill sets that I think are most important and a key differentiator for FP&A professionals, the art of storytelling. When I look back over my career and I look back at the various projects and initiatives I've been able to lead, finance always, like the people that can tell a great story around what's going on with the business, how it impacts the business, what's in it for the business, to be able to communicate that complexity and turn that into clear, concise conclusions that the business can understand, that is a superpower. So to me, I think those have been the catalyst change and the evolution of FP&A. Where do you see are the biggest gaps for FP&A professionals today and going into the future? 
they are storytelling, right? Like I remember looking back at some experiences that I had and I was working at a, a mid-level multinational uh, SaaS company. And one of the challenges that our CEO had is like, we were all across the globe. We were in the Americas. We had our EMEA region and we had our Asia Pacific location. And I remember walking into his office and he was looking at all these different spreadsheets and he was looking at these spreadsheets and it was like telling about sales. It was telling about marketing, telling about finance. And I remember looking at it. And I was like, man, this is like really hard to like get the, get your hands around the entire picture that is our business. And he's like, yeah, man, I got to dive in all these spreadsheets. I spend two or three hours just looking at spreadsheets to try to get an idea. And what that gap identified to me was and where I think most FPNA professionals don't really cross that chasm in, in storytelling is they don't speak the business's language. A lot of times in our finance role, right, in our U.S. GAAP, in our IFRS, in our SEC, and all the different bodies and legislations and, and government agencies that we help support from a finance perspective, we talk to the business in that same language. Like when we talk about revenue recognition, we're, we're like, hey, did you know ASC 606 and this is how it changes our contract management process and this is how this is going to impact our contracts upstream. You tell that to a salesperson, they're going to be like, I don't even know what you're talking about. So I think one of the first gap is not speaking the business language. That doesn't really translate in that art of storytelling. The second piece of it is not having the complete picture. One of the things I love about leading finance organizations and actually being a practitioner in finance is like we get to historically look back at like when the contract came in, when the customer closed it, when we got our first cash, how we recorded revenue. We see the entire full story. And that's one of the coolest things about being in finance is like we have that ability to see the entire story. But how are we able to piece together the most important parts of that story to communicate that to the business? That communication aspect of it, of taking all this complexity, taking all this U.S. gap, and to clearly communicate that to conclusions and clarity that the business can understand. Those, to me, are like the two fundamental gaps. The lack of actually speaking the biggest language and the lack of being communicators. And final one is like, we've got to be collaborative. I think a lot of times when people look at me as like a finance professional, they're like, man, Chris, you, you got a lot of like energy. You're super collaborative. Like, I don't know if I could be that way, but we have to step outside of our finance organization. We can't just sit back with our Excel models and our calculators and do our revenue modeling and do our expense forecasting. We've got to go out, collaborate inside the business. We've got to go collaborate with our sales partners, with our marketing partners, with our HR partners. We've got to be connected inside the business. So. To me, I think those are the three key pitfalls that a lot of FP&A professionals make in being able to tell great stories. There's this trend in some functional areas for outsourcing, right? Now, given that FP&A requires an intimate understanding of the business and the organization itself, is outsourcing FP&A even worth considering? And when does it make sense to do so? Yeah, so I think the rise of any fractional role, right? I have a lot of people in my network that are not only just fractional CFOs, like I'm a fractional CFO, but there's fractional CMOs, there's fractional CROs. You're starting to see like this uprising in fractional roles. I think it's super valuable because when you look at the macro market, you see a lot of organizations that are being cost conscious about the looming recession that the U.S. may go through the uh, entire situation going on in Europe right now. So you've got a lot of businesses that are honing back on new headcount. They're honing back on new investment into projects and stuff. So they're really starting to, to bear down for what the future looks like. 
But even with that cost constraint and that cash management and optimization, the work is still there. So this is where I think any fractional role becomes value because when you hire me as a fractional CFO, I've worked in small to medium-sized organizations. I've worked in enterprise-level organizations. I've led organizations through exit, through mergers and acquisitions. I've done fundraising. You get these fractional roles with batteries already included. They come directly in. They have their expertise. They have their knowledge. Yeah, they have to spend the time to get to know the business and the key stakeholders, but they come in exactly with, here's the playbook, here's how we can do it, here's how I can bring immediate value. I think that also translates to FP&A. Shifting to that financial partnership and advising, right? When I look at the characteristics of a high-performance, high-potential FP&A professional, they have four key attributes. The first one is they love technology. These people... They are technology evangelists, right? Like they're in BI, they're in AI, they know how to do RPA, they're working with Power Automate, they're working with best-in-class budgeting management tools. The second one is they're naturally curious. The people that are asking the why questions, those are the ones that I'm like, they're part of my tribe right now. That natural curiosity. The third one, like I said before, great collaborators. And I think the fourth one, in terms of like what makes a high-potential, high-performance FP&A professional is the ability to connect the business to outcomes. So I think like with those, right, FP&A is poised for it. FP&A is the office of the CFO because businesses still need that direction. They just may not have the opportunity to go hire four or five financial analysts or go hire a CFO because they're trying to be a little bit more conscious of their cash, but they still need the skill set, the mindset, the experience, and the talent and I think fractional roles in FP&A and finance and in the office of the CFO and other C-suite roles definitely come in and give you that instant impact and that instant ability. I think that huge value proposition for fractional FP&A. Speaking of skill sets, do you think certifications, for example, still make a lot of sense to, to the role or still bring a lot of value to the role of the FP&A professional? Yeah, so this is a great question. Like, I come up from public accounting, so I started off my career in, in, in Ernst & Young, and this was back in the day when the CPA was the gold standard. If you had your CPA and you came out of public accounting, like, that was like, yeah, I've got it. But now, when you look at it, right, like a credential like a CPA, a credential like a FP&A, a credential like an MBA, all these credentials what employers are starting to see is like, I'd rather take someone that actually has the experience. So like this experience is starting to trump. I think I read an article from the AICPA, I think a couple of weeks ago, and they were like looking at trends of new CPAs and it's been consistently going down for like the last eight years. I think the cumulative decline for the number of new CPAs entering the profession, cumulative over the last eight years, that decline has been somewhere between eight to, to 12%. And that's a steady decline. So like the number of CPAs is like falling off a cliff and it, they're sitting there like, why is this? And I think what a lot of professionals, uh, a lot of Gen Zers, a lot of millennials are like, you know what? Why should I cram for exams all throughout my class, right? Like I'm, I remember taking the CPA exam and 90% of it, I never even put into practice, never even thought about, never even had to go to an organization and do. And when I look back at it, that experience that I was able to get in the core things like the collaboration, the projects, the software adoptions, the budgeting and forecasting, that was way more valuable. So I think the measuring stick of what those credentials provided before versus what the measuring stick that the business is requesting from the office of the CFO now, 
that has changed. The business is like, as we mentioned, the business is requesting finance professionals to be great collaborators. Where in the CPA exam does it test that I'm a great collaborator? The other piece of it is like the businesses are requesting like technology adoption for the office of the CFO to move from laggers to technology adopters. Where does a CPA or, or a credential test to see that I'm great in technology? So I think the value proposition and that changing within the business has really changed the weight that a credential has had inside of your career. Where do you see the FP&A role evolving over the next uh, three to five years or so? For me, this is where I get really excited. Coming out of the pandemic and seeing a lot of businesses that have this demand now for the office of the CFO, basically what this has created, the business demand has been here. The supply of modern finance, FP&A, and financial professionals is here. So this gap, demand is higher than supply. That means there's a premium on top of your talent. There's a premium on your skills. There's a premium on your passion. There's a premium on your experience. And what I get really excited about is like now this is an opportunity to write a tremendous legacy. We have the opportunity to reshape what it means to be a CFO, what it means to be an FP&A, and what it means to be a financial professional for literally the next 20 to 25 years. And looking at my crystal ball, I think like making sure that we're being great partners inside the business, that we're helping navigate risk and uncertainty, making sure that we're part of the culture of building a high performance team. And honestly, coming from a CFO, we need to put our people before our profits. To me, that is where I think organizations that are focused on those initiatives, that's where we're going to win. And that's where we have the opportunity to show organizations that we can step up and we can be those modern finance, FP&A, and CFO professionals of the future. And we can help write that legacy together. That's what I'm pumped about. Chris, thank you very much for joining us on Podcast for Future CFO. Thank you so much. Appreciate everybody's time. If you want to follow me, connect with me all over LinkedIn. All of my socials are Fresh FPA. And if you want to learn more about how, how Fresh FPA can help support and transform and scale your finance organization, check us out at www.freshfpa.com. Thank you so much for your time. That was Chris Ortega, CEO of Fresh FPA, on the topic of revisiting FPA roles post pandemic. You are listening in the podcast for Future CFO. As always, if you have a topic you'd like us to cover on this channel, simply email us at editors at society.com. We'd also like to invite you to sign up for a free weekly newsletter so you won't miss an episode of Podcasts for Future CFO. In the meantime, stay safe, have a great day, and see you on the next episode of Podcasts for Future CFO. Bye for now.